They felt like they couldn't catch a break. And they said, I feel like asking God, what did I do to deserve this? Are things ever going to go right for me? And I think there are so many people in the world who feel that things never go right for. And there are so many times in our own lives when we feel like things aren't going right and that we can't catch a break. Suffering is inevitable as humans, and when it does come, it often feels like a tidal wave or a dark cloud or a deep freeze. Last semester, there was a week where everything went wrong for me. On top of everything that was going on, I had one more disappointment. I made one more mistake. I was in physical pain. I had a migraine for three days. I had insomnia from the migraine. And I had, a, I had an inability to ask for help. I couldn't catch my breath physically, metaphorically. And I experienced a very scary situation that left me shaken. And then I had an emotional breakdown in the tea aisle of Hy-Vee on the phone with my dad. I felt very far away from all the support that I needed. And I felt very far away from God. What am I doing wrong here? I'm just doing everything that you called me to do. What have I done to deserve this? It's evident from the way that Jesus' audience talks about the troubles of their day that even way back in the first century, humans tended to believe that the cause of one's suffering or hardships um, was their sin. The people believed that the reason the Galilean Jews suffered in that horrendous way by Pilate had to have been because they were, they were uh, committing some scary, big, secret sin. And the same with the people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Humans need to explain the suffering because it's the only way that we can make sense of it. And I do it, and we do it, to each other and to ourselves. I'm here to tell you that your sin is not the cause of your suffering. Do not believe this lie. There was another time in his ministry that Jesus reminded us of this, and it was in John 9, when he met and healed the, blind, the man who was blind since birth. The crowd says, Rabbi, who sinned so that this man was born blind? Was it him or his parents? And Jesus answers, neither. Neither your sin nor the sins of your parents are the reason you are blind. Sometimes hard things just happen and there is no explanation. Church historian and cancer survivor and writer Kate Bowler at Duke Divinity School wrote that one of the worst things you can say when you encounter someone suffering is everything happens for a reason. 
In fact, the only thing worse than saying that is pretending that you actually know the reason. She writes, I've had hundreds of people tell me the reason for my cancer. Because of my sin. Because of my unfaithfulness. Because God is fair. Because God is unfair. Because of my aversion to Brussels sprouts. When someone is drowning, the only thing worse than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason for why they're drowning. I wonder sometimes if we try to offer reasons instead of practicing empathy is because we're all uncomfortable with the fact that we're all terminal. And it's not fair. And Lent reminds us of this. Ash Wednesday reminded us of this. It doesn't matter how or when or why or where. We all die and we all experience suffering because this is part of being human. My mom's best friend from college is dying in Florida of liver cancer that she was diagnosed with on Wednesday. She, she will die in the next week. And she has 10 children and a husband. The doctors can't explain how the cancer spread so, so quickly. There is no explanation. And as I watch my mother grieve and I try to grieve with her from far away, I'm reminded that one of the one of the reasons that I even follow Jesus is because I really don't know of any other God who knows what it means to suffer like a human suffers. Jesus was human too, with a terminal heart, terminal body. We don't just have a savior in Jesus, we have a friend who is acquainted with grief, somebody who wept, he needed sleep, and he got hungry, and he was angry. And he died. Jesus is the one who feels with me, not for me. He doesn't just sympathize with us, he empathizes with us. And even in the Old Testament, we read of the God of the Covenant who listens to those who, who suffer. And yeah, it seems like this God has been silent for a while, but that doesn't mean that the I Am has been ignorant. I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard the cries under the burden of their taskmasters. What's more, I know their sufferings. I know their sufferings. That word in Hebrew implies not just that God sees or hears, but God feels and cares. And God says that he will come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and bring them up into a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God's vision for his people is wholeness and flourishing and peace and belonging. It's all the tools necessary for a life that thrives. And that's not just a vision for the children of Israel, it's also a vision for us. Because why did Jesus come in the first place? 
In John 10, right after the story of the blind man since birth, we read about Jesus as the good shepherd who came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. For this, Jesus took on our flesh. For this, Jesus wept blood in the garden. For this, Jesus died. For this, Jesus was raised from the dead for abundant, whole, new life. Not just life in this world, but life in the new heaven and the new earth with him. After Jesus reminds his audience that the Galileans' sin was not the cause of their suffering, he launches into a parable about a tree. It's a tree that seems to be at the end of its life cycle. It's not producing fruit, it's wasting soil. The diagnosis is terminal. The owner wants the tree to be removed, so So it sometimes feels with us. Does it sometimes feel like the soil of your soul is cracked and dry? Do you sometimes feel like your life is not bearing fruit? My heart breaks for those who believe they are a waste of space. are not a waste of space. Because in you, the gardener sees life. Even in your suffering, even in your hardships, even in your doubts, there's life. The gardener stops the owner and says, wait, let me cultivate this tree, let me nurture it, let me give it a new life. The gardener stops to look at you and says, let me breathe new life. So when the suffering comes, when it feels like a tidal wave, a dark cloud, or a deep freeze, I want to remind you that you are made in the image of God. And you are not alone in your suffering and your humanity. You have life pouring out of you. You have the love of God written on your bones and tattooed on your heart. God made you from love, made us from love in the beginning, from the dust that swirls up from the ground and the atoms and molecules we find in the stars of the galaxy. And for love, God knit us in the womb of our mothers. And for life, Jesus came and experienced the deepest darkness with us. For life, he washed those sins away, the ones we think are keeping us an arm's length from God and God's goodness. Listen to the voice of Jesus weeping alongside you. We are not alone in our humanity. And let's remember that as a church, as people who are called to be like Jesus, when someone in our lives approaches us in their own humanity and suffering, how do we respond? Do we respond with answers or do we respond with empathy? 
Do we judge or do we comfort? Do we ask how we can help or do we assume that we already know the needs of the person? During the season of Lent, how can we be attuned to the aches and groans of the world and its people? How are we learning to lament with them? Perhaps a good Lenten practice is empathetic listening. Often, Jesus would turn to someone who needed healing, and he would actually ask, what are you looking for? What would you like me to do? Perhaps we can ask the same or similar questions to those who need comfort and help. Whatever you do, don't believe the lie that sin causes our hardships. Bring it back around. Don't offer reasons for suffering. Don't offer empty explanations. Instead, just be present. Love them. Help them. Weep with them like Jesus. And maybe when the time is right and they're ready to receive it, you can offer hope. Not the kind of hope that's like putting a band-aid on a gaping wound that needs surgery. But hope that reckons with the reality that they're in. It's hope that recognizes that suffering is not how it was ever supposed to be. It's hope that one day things will, things will go right. The tidal wave will subside. The storm cloud will pass. The ground will thaw. And spring will come. The gardener is cultivating and nurturing the soil of our hearts and all creation, even now. So let's be co-cultivators with Christ, helping each other grow in wisdom and love and empathy and hope. We were made for abundant life together here and in the world to come. Amen.